I'm Bonnie T. Meyer, Freedom Ministry Pastor here at The Way. A little about myself. My dad died when I was a kid. I had to go to work. After that, I made some bad choices, did a lot of drinking, a lot of smoking, decided I needed to make better choices, hang out with better people, met my husband. We were married, had children, went through bankruptcy, and then we decided we needed to just turn to God. We did that, raised our family in a godly way, been through a lot of ups and downs, overcame cancer, overcoming stroke, but we're continuing to stand, and that is why we are family. Hey, good morning, everybody. My name is Jeff Tmeyer, and I'm the adult ministries pastor here at the Way Bible Church. I want to encourage you to keep your family involved and plugged in whenever possible. I had the benefit of growing up in a family that was in church every Sunday, every Wednesday. We had the privilege of being involved with all the programs our church had going and helped provide a lot of stability with my family. So my wife Amy and I are still very big on that today. Our kids are here whenever possible. They're very involved. We're involved. So we want to encourage you to be involved and walk beside us in this journey. That's why we are family. Man, that guy talked fast. Holy cow. Um, I do want to remind you guys that this morning, um, any kids that are normally dismissed after worships, after the worship set are going to stay in here with us the entire service because we have a special time at the end for you and your entire family. So I want to start by saying this. Psalm 127.1 says, Unless the Lord builds the house, the laborers labor in vain. I want, to, I want to start off this morning by asking you, do you have a house or a home? See, a house is just a big wooden box. Well, what goes on inside the house will determine whether or not it becomes a home. And I want, to, I want to talk to you this morning just for a few minutes to the heads of the houses that are in here. If you're the one providing that home, if you're the one that oversees that home, I'm going to talk to you for just a few minutes about <clears throat> how are you, what are you doing to make, that, make sure that the house becomes a home. See, God has blessed you with two things. When you, when you become the head of the household, people are under your covering. That means they're under your protection and they're under your authority. Your protection means that you're providing them a safe place. That means that when they come into your home, they feel safe. They, they not just necessarily from the from the from what's going on in the world, from all their stuff at school and work or whatever the situation might be, but when they walk in and they've, had, they've, they've made some tough choices that day or maybe things haven't gone just right, they know that they can come to you in a safe environment, in a safe place where you as a parent, where you as a spouse will be there to provide that safe that safe place for them to come and, and unload on. They, they know that you're not going to overreact. You're not going to freak out on them. You're going to, oh, my gosh, what are we going to do now? No, you, you provide that safe place. Why? Because... You're their protector. Protector simply means provided safety. And so this morning, you also have that, that authority that God's given you along with that. The authority is simply the fact that God says you have the ability to say what comes in and what goes out of your home. This morning, you, gotta, you, have, the, you have the ability as a parent to say, okay, um, young lady, you're not wearing that out that door. You have the ability to say, uh, young man, what's that shirt say? Um, yeah, we better take that off. Or you got, you got to be able to say, okay, TV, that's not coming in my house today. You got the ability to say, okay, cell phones, you're being turned off for a little while. You got the ability to say, okay, Internet, we're going to shut you down for a little bit. It's funny because I read a meme the other day, and it said, our Internet broke for about an hour, so I had to talk to my family. They seem like nice people. You know, and, and, and sadly enough, we let so much other stuff come in from the outside that whatever, whatever goes on inside our home becomes secondary to what we see coming in. We've got to realize that we set the tone. We set the standard. We, we provide a home. And that is the house for the people that want to that live under our roof. And so whether you're a single mom, a single dad, whether you're a, a married couple, we're working things out together, or whether you're some grandparents that maybe had some family kind of come in unexpectedly, whatever the situation is, if you're the head of that household, God has, God has blessed you with, with um, authority and with protection to take care of that family and provide that home that, that he wants you to build. Now, 
Like I, like I said before, the Bible says, unless God builds the home, the laborers labor in vain. I want to, I want to encourage you in, in this as well. That when God builds a home, he builds down one main thing. Honor. Honor is the mortar that holds the bricks of your home together. See, this, it's so easy to get on there and say, okay, when, when somebody comes in, it's so easy to come crashing down on the things they do bad. It's so easy to come in there and crash down on the things that didn't go right and, and major, and major on the bad things. But I want to encourage you in this this morning. When you begin to honor and lift up those people around you, when you begin to place, what honor means is, va- is to put something, put value and worth on something. When you begin to place value and worth on those people that live in the same home as you, you begin to elevate them to another level. And, they, and you begin to be able to pour into their lives and begin to see them rise up to things they never did before. Why? Because they're not just hearing about the bad. You're wanting to honor the good. You're wanting to honor the things that go on in their life that they've done well. And it's so easy to get to a place where we, we, we're so busy about trying to make everything just right, make everything run the way we want it to. And, here, and here's, where honor, here's where honor plays a big part. When you honor someone, when they know that you're looking to value them, when, they look, when you look at them as worthy, when, you look, when you're placing great worth on who they are to you, that gives you an open door to speak into their life. Parents wonder so many times why their kids don't receive what they've got to say. Well, do, they, do they know you're trying to honor them? Do they know you're speaking from a heart that wants to see them elevated and brought to another level? Now, when I throw honor out there, most parents, first thing they do is they go, yeah, honor your father and mother. That's what you're supposed to do. You try Beat your, head over the, beat your kids over the head with the Bible. But let me tell you this. I don't think Moses came down off the mountain with the Ten Commandments and said, okay, kids, gather around. These are for you. You know, so many times we've taken those Ten, we've taken those ten, ten Commandments and we try to apply it to the kids. Well, that's something you learn in Sunday school. No, Moses gave them to the elders of, of, the, of the people. Moses brought these things to the, the, the leaders. And so we've got to realize that as parents, if kids are going to know what honor is, they're going to learn it from watching us. They, when we treat them honorably, they're going to learn how to treat others honorably. When, when, they see, when they see the way you treat your spouse in honor, they're going to want to treat their, their spouse in honor someday as well. I, there's, been, there's been a few times in my life, yes, even me, I've had to go before my, my son and say, look, the way I talked to your mother a little bit ago was not right. I mean, I'm, sorry, I'm sorry you had to see that. That is not how a godly man should respond to someone in their family. Daughters should not think that their, their mothers can be yelled at by the fathers. Fathers should not, or sons should not think that they have the right to treat a mother in a bad way. And at the same time, Daughters should not think that they have the right to be this lady that's always everything going on wrong. Yeah. You know, we've got to run that. When honor, when honor is in place, everything gets edified, everything gets lifted up, everything gets built up the way it's supposed to be built up. Yeah. So this morning, I want to encourage you to be that person that is honorable, that provides honor for your family. When you walk in from work every day, is the first thing your family hears is how bad the people are you work with. I don't have that luxury. Um, I gotta call, I gotta call somebody out of state or something. No, um, I love the people I work with. They're great. We're all stuck in the same room right now, so they, they've got to be. But, uh, but I, I want to I I encourage you in this. If you're disciplining without honor, you're just bullying. Um, it's so easy to try and throw your weight around. But see, when, when, when you're coming, at, like I said before, when you're coming at them from a place of honor, when they know that you're, your very best interest and their very best interest are what you've got at heart, when you want this family to be, when you want this house to be at home, not just a big wooden box. When you want to provide a safe place, when you, want to, when you want to see people lifted up and exalted and brought to a higher place in God, when they know that that's your motive, when they know that that's who, what you want to strive to achieve as a, as, a, as a caregiver of your home, as the, as the leader of your home, when they see that taking place, they open up. They begin to relax. Because I, I, I can promise you that kids come through the door and they've dealt with a whole lot of stuff that we never know what they deal with, stuff that we never dealt with as kids. We used to get in trouble for chewing gum in school. That's the least of their worries now. These kids walk in with so much more stuff than what we ever dealt with. And if they know they're coming to a place of honor, a place that's peaceful and safe, you know, 
Some some homes are some some homes are peaceful. Some some homes are war zones. You know, um, be that person that when your spouse walks in, be that leader when your spouse walks in that as they as they come to you and they turn to you and they say, look, I just had this awful day and this happened, this happened. And don't be ready to come down and tell them all the things that they should have done differently. Say, look, I hear you. You can you can unload on me. I'll be that rock for you. I'll be that person for you. I want to see you honored. I want to see you exalted. I want to see you come to a deeper place in God because of the environment we're providing in our home. And so that come, that brings us down to. Your church home. We strive here at TWBC to make this a place of honor. Where you walk in and you're, you're made to feel valuable. You're made to feel worthy. You're made to feel needed and wanted. And we, we know that's a big part of why God is growing us and blessing us the way he is. Because we're, we're, we're trying to buy that place of honor. And we know that if, if you'll honor God's house, God will honor your house. When you, play, when you place greater honor and greater priority on, on God's house than you do everything else going on in your life. You know, we'll flip, we'll flip out if our kid misses one day at school. But if they can't make it to church, well, you know, we'll make it next week. Well, if we can't make if we if we can't make church anymore, that's okay. We had a late night, but heaven forbid them it's ball practice. You know, where are our priorities at as leaders of our homes? Are we placing great honor on who God's made us to be as believers? Number one, everything else He puts in our life is, is fine secondarily, but you got to keep priorities in place. So this morning, I want to encourage you. We want to help you as as your church family. We want to help you walk through this life and provide honor for your families. Make your family a family of honor that people look at and they go, man, that's an amazing family. I wish I could be like them. And guess what? They can be because you're going to instill that honor in their life. We want to walk alongside you as your church family and see you become that family of honor. See you have kids that are raised up as honorable kids. That, people, that, your teachers just, that you hear from the teachers and they go, man, if I had 50 more of those kids like yours, it's possible you can have that happen. But it comes with instilling honor and providing a home full of honor that they can walk into and realize it's a safe place and you're looking out for their very best interests. So we want to walk alongside you with that as, as your church family. We want to still honor your life. And that's why we're family. Hey, what's up, guys? My name is Corey Hankins. I'm one of the youth pastors here at the Way Bible Church, and I am a millennial. I know that sounds like a cuss word in church, but guess what? I am a millennial. I'm 23 years old. I still live with my parents. I only pay one bill, but hey, no matter where you're at in your life, if you're still with your parents, if you have a family of your own, if you're moved out by yourself, you have a place to belong, and that's why we are family. M-I-L-L-E-N-N-I-A Hell, gotta love millennials. How y'all doing today? You look good. You look really good. Amen? All right, I figured I'd get some amens on that one. All right, John 4, 17 through 18. We're going to go real quick. This is Jesus talking to the Samaritan woman at the well. They've had a pretty good discussion so far. They've gone over some topics. They've got some amens. It's been a good time. Uh, they've been talking about water and wells and uh, uh, where they're supposed to be and Samaritans and Jews and Jesus and yada, yada, yada. And he comes in and Jesus is talking to the Samaritan woman and he asks about her husband, which is a weird deal to like ask about. Because one, he doesn't even know this person. And so he goes in and says, um, go call your husband and come back. She said, I have no husband, she replied. Jesus said to her, you are right when you say you have no husband. The fact is you have had five husbands. And the man you now have is not your husband. What you have just said is quite true. Now, if you've been in church for any amount of time ever in the history of the modern Western culture, American church, what you've heard is that Jesus was exposing this woman's sin. 
that Jesus was beating down this woman, which in all intents and purposes, that's not my Jesus. He was not exposing her sin. He was connecting to her brokenness. Because back in those days, a woman could not divorce her husband. A man could only divorce his wife. He was not connect, he was not exposing her sin because truth be told, she, it was not her decision to become divorced. It was a product of the person she had chosen. He was exposing her brokenness. Now you're saying, Corey, I thought you were supposed to talk about millennials. I'll get to that. Um, does anybody know what this stuff is? What's it for? I mean, I live with my parents. I don't cook. I don't, I don't need this stuff. When you come to church, when you come to church, this is, this is a average churchgoer. They've got some wrinkles. I mean, they've got some stuff they're trying to fix and iron out, but for, for more, for most intents and purposes, this is a regular churchgoer. Now, this is how most people see millennials. Y'all can laugh, I know. This is how most people see millennials right here. Now, when you come to church as a millennial, do I have any 20-somethings in the house? Y'all rock. Show, show yourself. Be like, yeah. Some of you older people are like, in heart, I'm 20, yeah, you know. Raise your hand, shoot your shot. That's what I'm talking about. When you come to church as a millennial, this is how other people see you. Now, when you come to church, this is what they try to do. They try to straighten you out and make sure you align with the way they, whoop, I poked a hole in it. They, it's getting worse. They try to make sure you align with the way they think you should be, and they try to straighten you out. And the reason most millennials don't come to church is because they don't want to be this. They would rather be balled up where everybody can't see their wrinkles and where they can't see their brokenness and where they can't see uh, uh, the abusive relationship they're in and where they can't see the abortion that they had when they were 18 and they can't see the kid that they had out of wedlock and they can't see the drunken nights that they have. And when we try to straighten people out, the only thing we do is we make them worse and we make them expose everything that they've ever done to the world. And I did not read that the shame of Christ leads men into repentance. I did not read in my Bible that the guilt of Christ leads people into repentance. It is the goodness and love of Christ that leads people to repentance. The more we try to straighten out millennials, the worse they become. And the job of the church was never to straighten out millennials. Jesus didn't come to straighten people out. The blood of Christ is not rehab or therapy. The Bible does not say, therefore, if if anyone is in Christ, they are a rehabbed creation. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, they are a corrected creation. No, it says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, they are a new creation, not a straightened out correction, not a exposing your flaws creation, not a, a messed up but still usable creation. No, it says a new creation. Now, I know what you're thinking. If you've ever heard a millennial preach, here comes the grace card. Here comes a snowflake millennial. I know, hey, I hear, I hear what they're saying about my generation. I hear it. 
Here comes the snowflake millennial to talk about grace and how you can live any way you want and get to heaven. My thing is, I don't want to just get to heaven. I want to get, I want to get heaven here. I don't want to just get myself there. That's selfish. The reason for grace, I'm sorry, grace is not a license to sin. Can we all agree with that? Grace is not a get out of jail free card so you can do whatever you want. That is not what grace is for. If that's all grace has ever been in your life, you've been living a messed up, uh, 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 messed up view of what Christ really did. Grace is not the license to sin, but it is the freedom to be forgiven. We find the real reason for grace in the later uh, um, conversation with Jesus and the Samaritan woman. He, he continues to talk to her, and she says, well, uh, where's the correct place to worship? Which is kind of weird. You know how, like, some people offend you, so you try to ask them questions that they don't know uh, answers to? So she's trying to, like, trick Jesus is the way I see it. So she's talking about where's the correct place to worship. You Jews uh, worship here, and we worship there, and those people worship here. But where's the correct place to worship? And Jesus answers her in verse 21. He says, woman, now men, Jesus is the only man who can ever address a lady as woman. I'm going to get that correct real quick. I've tried. I am not in the image of Christ that much yet. Woman, Jesus replied, believe me, a time is coming. Thank you, God, when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know. For salvation is from the Jews. Yet a time is coming and has now come when the true worshipers will worship the Father in the spirit and in truth. For they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. God is spirit and his worshipers must worship in the spirit and in the truth. Can I get an amen? See, I ain't even got to my points yet. I ain't even got to my points yet. The goal of grace is for broken people to reach up and grab hold of a beautiful, perfect, and loving father that they wouldn't have to, that they wouldn't have access to without. The end goal of every interaction with Jesus is to point towards worshiping the father. If you interact with Jesus and your heart is not stirred to worship the father, you didn't meet the real Jesus. Or you didn't get enough of Jesus. And what is worship? Worship is love express that's why i believe if you're a coffee maker and work at starbucks and you got to work on sundays you can still express your love to the father through making an amazing pumpkin spice latte amen jesus name manna from heaven mm, yes god we have to realize that even if the next generation doesn't look anything like us they're still family and if we, if we just try to straighten out millennials to look just like us, they'll face the same things that y'all faced. And if you don't want millennials to face the same things you face, and if you want them not to walk in your path but stand on your shoulders, it's time we not try to straighten them out. It's time that we show them a true Jesus. I'm going to leave you with this. The end result of Christianity is not a bunch of Christian clones walking around never doing anything wrong. The end result of Christianity is to connect sons and daughters with the love of the Father. Amen. And that, family, is why we are family. What's up? I'm Damon Wilkes. I'm the student pastor here. I want to tell you a little bit today about myself. I am blessed enough to be 
and a dad of two sons and also their youth pastor. My wife is Hispanic. I'm white as could be. So, of course, we have two awesome biracial sons. We want to tell you about this generation a little bit and how there is no such thing as a junior Holy Spirit. They are powerful and they are mighty. You can be a part of it and know this. We are family. Amen, amen, amen. Somebody glad to be up in here today? Awesome, awesome, awesome. I want to tell you a quick, quick scripture reference today. John 14, 12. Very truly, I tell you, whoever believes in me will do the works I have been doing. And they will even do greater things than these because I am going to the Father. Listen, there was no age limit put on this. Saw so my old people say amen. All my old people say amen. You saw me all lying. Remember we're in church. All my young people say amen. All my young people say amen. All my young people say amen. Sometimes I just have to get on them a little bit. It's make sure they're with me. Hey, uh, I want to tell you a little bit about this generation. This generation is by far the most technically advanced generation. How many of y'all got little kids running your iPods and, and iPads and all that? You, you, these, these, they're brought up in a different way, correct? Here's one thing that, that you will get mad at them sitting on a couch. All you do is sit on a couch and play video games. Well, who's letting them? See, it, us as parents, sometimes we try to get out of parenting because it's hard. It's a lot easier just send them to the room and play video games. So really what we're doing is failing as parents, and we claim that they're failing as young people. So understand we've got to get involved in the things that they love have got to become things that we love. Instead of like what Pastor Corey said, we, we constantly are trying to change them to be more like us. I don't know about y'all. I was not in a real good place when I was 14, 15, 16 years old. I want them to be better than me. And that's the generation that we're looking at. There's two young people in the Bible that these stories are so awesome to me. We'll call the first one the lunch boy. How many of y'all like lunches? Let's get closer to lunch. I know you're excited. In John 6, we get the... Uh, uh, the story about Jesus feeding the 5,000. Now, in order for that to happen, there had to be somebody's sacrifice. That young person was the lunch boy. This young man said, I don't have much, but what I have is five loaves of bread and two small fish. And he gave them to the disciples. Of course, I think the disciples like, Jesus, I got something. Like they're the ones that brought it. But it was really, truly this young man who was not living in fear enough as to go, here you go. He wasn't worried about what's coming next. See, that's one thing this generation has so good is they're not necessarily concerned about what's going to, the if, ands, and buts of everything. They get led and they go. Some of us get older and we lose that. 
and we lose that ability to uh, to live off the cuff or to do something exciting. And then when when we see them make these decisions that that may not be the best, we get on to them. But I want to tell you, there's got to be a place in there to where we begin to encourage creativity. There's got to be a place to where we encourage them even to make a mistake. Because that, that's how you learn, correct? So anyways, we got the story of the lunch boy. The lunch boy provides this meal. And, and then, of course, you know the, the rest of the story. Thousands are fed based on his giving. And then we'll find in 2 Kings, there's a story of a young lady when Naaman gets healed. And, and she is taken captive and brought to, the, uh, to this new land. And, and she's made forced to, to, to live as a maidservant. And, and she sees Naaman, who's this great battler, and he's so uh, strong in everything he does. And she sees this man who is struck also with a disease called leprosy. Now, she had the option right there to where she could live in fear or live in faith. And sometimes even our enemies need to be blessed. And if you'll bless them, guess what? They may not live as an enemy. And so she goes on to, uh, to tell Naaman, or actually tell the, uh, his people, hey, I know somebody. I think y'all know somebody, don't you? And... Uh, she, she tells him, hey, I know somebody. His name is Elisha. You have to travel to go over there. Of course, you know the story. Naaman goes, and, and they send word to him, and he ends up being healed. But what if she didn't do that? I will tell you what young people are. Young people are proven time and time again to be a catalyst. To be a catalyst for new things, to be a catalyst for technology, we're seeing that day in and day out. To be a catalyst for something new. I know what it's like to get older, and there's days you find yourself, you're like, it's just the same old, same old. Oh, get up, go to work. Oh, drink coffee. Hope I can poo. Uh is that too much? Is that, is, that too, is that too much? It's just life boring and, and mundane and living in mediocrity. But if we'll allow some, some fresh vision in that, we'll allow some youth to actually impart into us as adults. Because I'm telling you, what I see out of this generation, what I see week in and week out, what I see at their schools, is a generation who has finally kicked fear to the curb. And I want to tell you, they have everything to be fearful of. <laughs> Imagine growing up in what they grow up in now. I don't know about y'all, I made some mistakes when I was 14, 15. Anybody? Okay. And, and, and during those mistakes... If you kind of uh, handled the, the brunt of the initial few days after the mistake, you were going to be okay. However, this generation can have somebody they've never even met in their life alter their life. Which brings me to this point. Parents, they need parents. They do not need best friends. 
listen, their lives are too important to me. And I know they're too important to you to have a bad day parenting. Because what happens is all they're looking for is some discipline and some direction. They may not know it, but I can tell you what, each student that, that we send off to college, they have these few things to say. One of that is they come back and they go, yeah, so it, I made a bunch of mistakes and failures when I left. You know why? It's because all of a sudden they didn't have any kind of guidance. Guidance is not a bad thing, parents. Parents, they need it. They want it. It is something that will change their life as well as yours. And what Pastor Jeff hit on earlier was it's hard to say honor your parents when they go home and we're not making honorable actions. We talk about our own parents. We talk about the pastor. I didn't like what Mitch saying. He's always so loud. I didn't like it. Pastor Jeff, you couldn't even hear what he was saying. I mean, like it was, you couldn't understand nothing. Corey's rattling on and singing a song. Nobody knew. And, and it's just this crazy things. But what that is doing is slowly poisoning your students. So it's time we spread some joy in this place. And the Holy Spirit is telling me one thing and one thing bigger than anything right now is the fact of you cannot have joy and still live in fear. So today I hope you get released from that fear. That's what I'm praying is you get a release from that fear. And know this, that with students, we are family. Good morning, I'm Sherry Chester, children's pastor. I was raised by my precious mom, a divorced pastor's wife. By 20, I was an unwed mother, later married, had three more children. We lived in an abusive, dysfunctional home. I, too, became destructive, shattered lives, followed by divorce, broken trust. But God stepped in, made something beautiful of my life, redeemed and restored relationships to children, provided me a godly husband, and gave me a passion to reach children and families for the glory of God. And that's why we're family. We are family. So um, I heard it so loud this time that I almost feel like holding my head. Um, God keeps showing me a pinball machine. And you know, when you pull it back and you let that ball go, it goes all over the place. It goes ding, 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 ding. And if you've done really well, there is this siren on the top that's going, ooh. I'm hearing this ooh really loud this morning. So before we go any further, if you have broken dreams or strife or things in your life that you do not, and others to know that has held you captive. I want you to pray this prayer with me. Repeat after me. Father God, I give you my strife and confusion. Make something beautiful out of my life in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, do you believe it? Can you receive that? Because it's true. Okay, so turn to your neighbor 
And I want you to make your silliest face ever on the count of three. Here we go. One, two, three. Okay, some of you are like, not in church, in church. Fun is the currency of kids. Come on up, Miss Rachel. So now we're going to do ready, set, go. I need you to look at me. Make your funniest face ever. God's in a good mood, right? right? Jesus is our friend. Holy Spirit comforts. He likes this. Okay, ready, set, go. Y'all were awesome, awesome, awesome. Okay, kids, come on up. Stand close to the front. Here's what's going to happen. They are going to help teach us one sentence. They are teaching and preaching to you this morning through the power of their testimony. Now, adults, super important for you to participate. They're going to be teaching you this one sentence. Our God is so big and so strong and so mighty. There's nothing our God cannot do. Come to the center. We're going to do it three times. Participation really is expected. They've got to know that they're good pastors and teachers, right? This means stand, 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 stand. Okay, kids, are you ready? Okay, ready, set, go. Our God is so big and so strong and so mighty. There's nothing our God cannot do. I need y'all to be louder, louder than me. And they're being too quiet out there. And it's because they want to hear y'all. So do it really loud. Here we go. Ready, set, and go. Our God is so big and so strong. There's nothing our God cannot do. Last time, like, shake the rafters. Okay. Up there. Yep. Here we go. Our God is so big. Okay, that preaches. Thank you so much, kids. Y'all were awesome. So if you will, <laughs> yes, because it's fun. See, here's the deal. As you turn in your Bible to Matthew 21, 12 through 17, or your device, fun is the currency of kids. Birds fly, fish swim, kids play. Play is a good thing. So we're going to play just a little bit more. Six words. It's real easy. It's part of Matthew 21, 16c. And it says, You, Lord, have called forth your praise. Do it with me once. Here we go. Everybody. You, Lord, have called forth your praise. Now, because we've already established that God likes to have fun. And you're not going to get your religious feathers in a ruffle this morning. Put your fingers over your over your nose and let's say that. Here we go. You, Lord. Okay, you see, now that's the best I've seen y'all do yet. One more time. You, Lord. Okay, he likes to have fun. Our kids do. It's what helps them get ready to come in and hear the meat of his word. And so the meat of the word this morning is Jesus enters the temple. He sees something he does not like. He turns over the many tables and he kicks over the benches. And he says, my house 
is a house of prayer, not that of of robbers and thieves. Okay, so he does this. Then the very next thing he does in the temple, people are walking in and he heals the lame and the sick. Meanwhile, the religious leaders are like, so then here come the kids. Hosanna to the son of David. And they are shouting and having much fun. And then the leaders say, Jesus, did you hear that? They were indignant. In East Texas, that means they were ticked. So it's okay. They were religious. And so Jesus goes on and he says, yes, but have you never read from the lips of children and infants you have called forth praise? I think that was probably a mic drop moment because then he left, went to Bethany and went to sleep. He just kind of put them in their place. Here's the deal. Children are not saints in waiting. They are saints in training. We are not raising children to be politically correct. We are raising them to be biblically correct. So here's the deal. We play, we have fun, but then we get more serious. We hear the meaning of the word. Then we go to the altar and we worship God. Barna Research says, that more than 70% of all kids will leave the church that made that decision by the age of 13. It's because we keep giving them Bible stories. We keep showing them the acts of God, the who, what, where, when, how, why. They are desperate for the ways of God. Are you desperate to hear his voice, to feel his presence, to experience his power. Okay, his family, that's what we do. So they're going to throw up a chart of the tabernacle. And on that chart, it shows the outer court. And the outer court is where it's loud. It was noisy. It's where they were sacrificing animals, representing the blood of Jesus. It was loud. Games, it's okay that they're loud. Yes? Okay. And praise can be loud. Then you go in to the inner court. The inner court is where you're getting the meat of God's word. The priests were preparing. Then you go into the Holy of Holies to where you can feel his presence. You can experience his power and know him personally. We want to make sure we're giving kids ample time to experience that because that's what changes lives. That's what causes them to go to the playgrounds and the ball fields and the dance studios and talk about Jesus as the real deal. Sometimes I hear things that break my heart. When they're praying, they pray for the adults in their life. One that still sticks out. Will you please tell my mom I want her to read the Bible with me? Will you please 
help my daddy at work so he'll come home in a good mood. Our children are desperate to experience the presence of God. But here's the deal. They want to do it with us as a family. So in closing, I want you to remember a few things. Fun is the currency of kids. As a family, we need to sing and play games and memorize scripture in fun, wacky ways. To take a verse, then spend time together in the presence of God. You see, God does not disappoint. And here's why we know that. Children, they are not saints in waiting. You saw it. They are saints in training. I'm so glad. That's why we're family. Hi, I'm Mitch Griggs. I'm the worship pastor here. I come from a blended family, and we are a blended family. We don't use step in our house. I'm a second dad to our daughter, Tara, and she's a second mom to our son, Prize. We just want to let you know you're blended. You're not broken. And you know what? That's why we're family. Well, this is, uh, this is what I look like without a guitar. This is what I sound like when I don't sing. Um, and uh, so I will probably be in this one. This is one of my first times. I will probably uh, step into T-Meyer mode, so listen fast, okay? But I, what I want you to say with me is I'm not damaged goods. Come on now. I'm not damaged goods. One last time. I'm not damaged goods. That's right. Exactly. What I want you to do is turn in your Bibles to John 8. John 8. We're just going to go through two verses. I just want to highlight the end of this. Uh, and this is where uh, the woman is brought into Jesus uh, that's caught in adultery. So if you have your Bibles, turn to that. If if you don't, uh, look around at those that who don't have a Bible and give them that condemning church member look that all of us know so well. Uh, so uh, if you would turn to John 8, 10 through 11, they have it up here for us. And I just want to say real quick, I'm probably going to go over time, but these guys up here in the booth, they have really made this whole thing work because we threw them a curveball this week and they made it. Uh, so thank you guys. Um, uh, John 8, 10 through 11 says, Jesus straightened up and asked her, Woman, where are those accusers of yours? Has no one condemned you? She said, No one, Lord. And Jesus said to her, Neither do I condemn you. Now go and sin no more. Neither do I condemn you. Now go and sin no more. Understand, this woman was caught in adultery. Law said she had to die. Okay? This woman is being used as a pawn in a game to get Jesus by the religious leaders. She's brought in. And they were going to bring her in to kill her, to test Jesus. So just imagine you were this woman. Imagine you're standing there. This is the last time you'll ever see your family. Imagine the shame that she is carrying right now. Everything is fixing to be over for her because she was caught. She was condemned. The world had condemned her. 
Condemnation is a legal term. If you're convicted of a crime, you're condemned of a crime. Okay? But there's hope here. And the opposite of convi- opposite of condemnation is vindication. And you have been vindicated by the blood of Jesus Christ this morning. The opposite of condemnation is vindication. We have been vindicated by the blood of Jesus. Therefore, there is no condemnation in Christ. Amen. Grace is getting what you don't deserve. But somebody got what you did deserve. And that somebody was Jesus. And he died so that you don't be, you don't have to be condemned. You're not guilty because the father declared his son guilty. Jesus was condemned and executed for your sin, for our sin. Second Corinthians 5.21 says, for our sake, for your sake, for my sake, for our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we, you, me, we, might become the righteousness of God. The Father isn't condemning you this morning. He is accepting you just as you are. Conviction says you did something wrong. Condemnation says you are something wrong. Conviction says you did something wrong. Condemnation says you are something wrong. Yes, divorce, living with somebody, having children out of wedlock, stealing a piece of bubble gum, whatever, talking about pooping from the podium, that's that's all wrong. That's all sin. We know we know that. Um but you're not being condemned. I had to go there, sorry. You're not being condemned this morning, okay? Uh realize the Father is not passing out free grace. The Holy Spirit's passing out conviction. I, I know what you hear when you hear conviction. I, I know. There's this big barrel-bellied guy with big boofy hair. Uh, it's back in the 80s with big gold glasses and rings all over his fingers. He's, he's an evangelist. He's coming to town, and his index finger's about four feet long, and he's talking about conviction, pointing in your face. I've got the hair in the belly. Uh, the rings, I... I I'd wear one. Um, but that's not what's going on this morning. Conviction is the way the Father expresses his love. That's what conviction is. And he loves you too much to leave you alone. And, you know, we have a bad, uh, we have a bad um, definition of conviction because we have a bad definition of who took our condemnation. Let me say that again. We have a bad definition of conviction because we have a bad definition of who took our condemnation. Okay? Conviction is how Jesus, how the Father shows his love. I am divorced. My wife is divorced. We have a blended family. God wants to bless blended families this morning, and he is blessing blended families this morning. Because remember, conviction is God's way of showing love. Do not condemn yourself because the Father is not condemning you. When I started here eight years ago, I was not the right man for the job. I wasn't. Everything I did was in the flesh. 
I had condemned myself and was condemning others around me. I wasn't the right man. I stood up here on Sunday and I went home and condemned myself. I stood up here on Wednesday and condemned myself. And I wasn't a good person. But I had Jesus. I told myself I was damaged goods. But Jesus says, if you'll just listen to me, you're not. Because you were made in my image. How can something that's made in the image of Christ be damaged? He is complete and whole. And he has said we are complete and whole. For if we are in Christ, behold, we have come a new creation. Amen. So if you're, if you're in a bad place this morning, it's okay. God can meet you right there. Just don't be content on staying there. You may say, I can't be used. Yes, you can. I'm here doing this because I can be used. And I'll continue to be used. A lifestyle of worship comes from realizing you are not damaged goods. A lifestyle of worship is walking in who God made you to be. A lifestyle of worship is realizing I'm not condemned but convicted because conviction is God's way of showing me love. So let's change our definition this morning. And I'm going to close. I, I haven't been, this is actually only my second time to do this, so I don't have a lot of closings, but I promise I'll get better um, with more closings the, the more I'm able to do this. But the opposite of condemnation is vindication. And we've all been vindicated by the blood of Jesus Christ because it's enough. It's enough. His blood is enough this morning, and he is accepting you and me and us just the way we are. Conviction says you did something wrong. Condemnation says you are something wrong. And conviction is the way the Father shows his love. You're not damaged goods this morning. God can use you. You're not who the world says you are. You might have been in the club last night, but I promise you, you're in the right place this morning. Say it with me one more time. I'm not damaged goods. And that's why we are family. Good morning, TWBC. Derek Dillon here. I am the executive pastor here at the Way Bible Church. I've been married to a beautiful woman for the last 20 years. Uh, she is white. I'm black. We have a daughter together. And the Lord has blessed us this year to be in the process of able to adopt three boys who are also black. Because of the blood of Jesus, we are family. Amen. Amen. Hey, I'm, I'm coming up here to do the closing. Um, and we're going to go into a time of worship here in a little bit, but we wanted to kind of wrap things up here real quick. So what is family? Why are we family? 
See, Webster describes families as a group consisting of parents, children, living together in a household. When we think of parents or family, we think of moms, dads, grannies, uncles, aunts, cousins, brothers, sisters. We think about all those things when it comes to family. But the thing about family is uh, we share the same blood. We share the same blood. There are certain things that, that I do around my family or around my wife. She's like, oh, you look just like your daddy when you do that. I might say something to you know with my daddy or act like him. He say, "Boy, you just like me." That's that blood that's running through you. That's that blood that's running through you. But it's it's all about the blood. That's one thing we love about East Texas. When we moved here back in 2011, roots go deep here in East Texas. Kids know about their great 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 grandfather. Families are living in homes that their great 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 grandfather built. Traditions are, are, are a lot shorter. They don't, they don't get lost over time. That's the beauty about East Texas. And that's why we planted ourselves here. We wanted to be able to have a, a way that we can start traditions, that we can have a, root, have a root in place so our daughter can grow up. Little did we know God had other plans. Little did we know God had other plans. This year our life has changed tremendously. We had the wonderful opportunity to have three beautiful boys in our home that we get to call our own. I can't tell you how exciting it is. Hey, things changed. Things changed. When I got my baby girl, like, hey, daddy, can I use your bathroom tonight? <laughs> things changed. You know, we, had, we went from a family to three to a family of six overnight. But the beautiful thing about it is, those boys get to share my name. Those boys get to inherit the same benefits that my daughter get to inherit. We get to be able to start traditions with my boys as we had done with my daughter. We get to do those things together as a family. And that's what I love about it. So it says, so why, are we, why are we family? Ephesians 1, 5, it says, He predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ according to the purpose of his will. Webster describes adoption and says to take by choice into a relationship. I love that, to take by choice. We were able to choose these boys and bring them into our house. The same thing the Father did for you. He chose you. He chose each and every one of you says as Christians, we are all adopted into the kingdom as brothers and sisters. Now we have roots that run deep. We inherit the same benefits as sons and daughters of the king. So how can this be? Blood is thicker than water. Blood is thicker than water. You know, when you got siblings, you got a brother, you got a sister, you, you guys have something very unique that other people uh, in your family do not have. Brothers and sisters carry the same blood. It's different than your mom. It's different than your dad. It's the same blood. We have the same blood of, as Jesus. We have the same blood as Jesus, and that's what they call blood ties. There's things about a blood tie that nobody else can relate to because we are brothers and sisters with Jesus. 
So let me tell you something. Let me tell you a few benefits of the blood. And grab hold of this. It says it remits sin. It gives life to those who consume it. It causes us to dwell in Christ and he in us. It justifies us and saves us from wrath. It redeems us. It grants us the forgiveness of sin. It has obtained eternal redemption for us. It sacrifices us. It makes us complete for every good work. It cleanses us from all sin. That's the blood of Jesus. That is the blood of Jesus. Now I want you to do, I want you to be able to put your hand over your heart. You feel that heart. Boom, boom. Boom, boom. That is, that is eternal blood. That is the blood of the, of the king. That is royal blood. So when God is giving you a word to touch somebody's life, you feel yourself. You feel that heart pumping. That's not nervousness. That's not nervousness at all. That is the ballroom getting started saying, hey, the blood is in your hands. That you can touch somebody's life. You can give sight to the blind. That you can raise the dead because we have the same blood as Jesus. We have the same blood as Jesus. So, so when you confess with your mouth and believe in your heart that Jesus died on the cross for you, oh, but most importantly, that he rose again.